Remember the night that our holy God's heart was broken. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. And then later, while he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out against me as a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. These words are true, and they can be trusted. Let's pray together. Lord, we, do, uh, we love you. We do not, we do not have a God that sits distant from us, but one who knows what it's like to walk the human road. You understand our suffering. You understand our hardship. You are present with us. And today, God, as we just, even theologically, we're going to enter into mystery a little bit. That's beautiful. It's what, it's, it, it's what leaves us in this place where we know you are God and, and we are not. There are things in you, of you, where all we have is trust in the Lord. And today is part of that. And so, Lord, I ask that you would do the miraculous this morning. I ask that you would allow us to trust you, to trust you. In fact, if you would, even in a state of prayer this morning in this early service, just maybe quietly before the Lord, just ask him, just say, Lord, help me to trust you.
And if you would, even this morning, ask that the people around you um, ask God to help them trust him too. God, I ask in your name that you would help me to clearly convey how good you are and that you would miraculously draw our hearts to a place where we trust daddy. In your name, amen. It is good to be here with you all, Josh. Thank you for leading worship, you and your team. They do a great job. It is great to be here with you all this morning too. Good morning. Right, turn to your neighbor and say, good morning. I know it's early service to say, wake up. Load up on coffee, open the Bible. It's going to be a good day. I love that. Um, it is great to be here with you all in the house of the Lord. We have a wonderful day planned, uh, churches and services and ministries. And, and again, I like to say this every week, uh, but continue to keep in your prayers uh, the new, our new church plant across town. Uh, we just want to continue to pray for Andy and the ministry there. Pray for Calm, working with the refugees this afternoon. Pray for our campus across town over on Olio Road. They'll get ready to start here in just a little bit. They'll be uh, beginning over there. And even if you don't mind, uh, just be praying, of course, for our services on Thursday night downtown at Garfield Park, the wonderful people that serve and engage down there. And Mike Summers, as he's doing services in the retirement homes um, around the city this morning, too. I'm just so grateful for all that God is doing among the greater Trinity movement. And I get to be here, right here with you all this morning at 9 a.m. in this service. Praise God for that. I love that I'm here with you. If you would open your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke 22, Luke 22 today. And uh, I, one of the things that I, I really enjoy as a, as a pastor, this is the, the, nerdy, the nerdy part of me, the academic part of me. I like ask Pastor Mike questions. I like it when people ask me questions. And, uh, and the truth is, a lot of the time, I don't, I don't have answers. Uh, but sometimes I do. I mean, I, I, that was too broad. I, 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 there are some really great answers in history to a lot of good questions. But there are questions that get brought to my attention. And in reality... I hate to break this to you. You ready, you ready for this? Did you know that God is bigger than us? And there's part of this theological journey where I don't care whether you, I mean, we've got wonderful academic people, even IW and professors, and uh, we even have a couple Greek scholars in the grade. Like, there are things where all we have is trust in the Lord. <gasps> That's it. This has a level of mystery in it that goes beyond what our little tiny human brains can wrap around. I mean, this, this is just bigger than any academy, than any theologian, than any author, than any professor, than any degree. God is just bigger. And, and you know what? That's really good news. If we were above all of this, that would be a problem. We're not. God is bigger. And so one of the questions that, that was thrown my way, I have a theological answer for it, but I don't necessarily understand it, okay? A theological answer, but I don't necessarily understand it. Church history has great answers to this, but we don't understand. There's mystery to this, and the mystery is great. Okay, so here, here's basically the question. 
Dear Pastor Mike, does Jesus literally want us to move on and try to forget it when people hurt us? That seems belittling of my suffering. Okay, so let me give a little extra context to this. Um, this is not about this, but it's like, you know, we do a lot with, with helping rescue people out of human trafficking, the, the Trinity movement does. We've helped do that with many people. I mean, how many, do we even, what's our latest count of how many people we've helped rescue? Do you know off the top of your, if you don't, 68, we're at currently, so you get, that's awesome. You, we've currently helped 68 rescue operations and rehabilitations of people out of human trafficking. That's pretty cool. I'm glad for that. Um, and in that, as a part of what we do, it's, I mean, it's almost like these, these people that we pull out of this, I mean, their lives have been so terrible. And, and if we were just to say, well, I mean, Jesus wants you to forgive. So, you know, like, just let it go. Doesn't that seem really belittling of people's suffering? And in reality, for you, I don't know what you've been through. I don't, I don't know your personal, some of you I do, but uh, you shared with me. But some of you, man, your personal story, you have been through things so painful. You've been cheated on. You've been abandoned. You've been fired. You've been falsely accused. You've been through things that are really painful. And when a pastor gets up and says, forgive and forget, you're thinking, How? And if I do just forgive and forget, it honestly feels like you're belittling my, my suffering. Fair enough. So the question, does Jesus literally want us to just move on and try to forget it when people hurt us? That seems belittling of my suffering. So here is basically the answer, and then I'm going to spend the rest of the morning telling you the theology of it, and there is a mystery. There just, there is a mystery. So my basic response is this, and then I'll spend all morning unpacking it with you, but it's this. Jesus doesn't offer a mere belittling of your hurt. He promises something miraculous, okay? And I literally miracle. This is a bigger miracle than a sick person being healed. This is a bigger miracle. He promises its undoing. Whoa. It's undoing. Like, what if your most painful thing, I mean, the people that we've rescued out of human trafficking, the, the worst things that have happened to them, I mean, we're not merely saying, just forget about it and move on. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is somehow in God's glorious work, when this story is all done, He's going to undo sin's impact on your life. What? Luke 22, beginning in Luke 22, chapter 22 through chapter 23, verse 16. Okay, there is a lot of text here. And, um, and I, know, I know I can be guilty of reading really long passages in a service. 
And, uh, you know, and, and, and sometimes the feedback I get is, can you just pick like a couple verses out of that? I don't want to leave anything behind, and I also don't want to read for 10, 15 minutes to you. Well, actually, I do want to do that. But, uh, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a survey of the Scripture. So instead of reading all of chapter 22 and part of chapter 23, today I'm just going to do a survey of Scripture. Uh, and you can honestly see kind of a survey of Scripture. A lot of the, the translations do a fairly good job of this. Whether you use like the NIV or the ESV, they break the scripture up. Uh, by the way, this didn't happen in the canonization of the Bible. This is all done later by translators. Uh, but they'll put little headings in there. So like it'll be like a paragraph and there's a little heading above that paragraph. And it gives like a brief title of what's happening. A, a lot of those are actually pretty good. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to use the ESV. And if you would bear with me, I'm just going to do a survey of Luke 22, and a survey of the first part of Luke 23, and just listen closely to what's happening to Jesus. All right, you ready? So listen in. The heading, I'm using the ESV headings, but if you have like the NIV or others, you'll, you'll, you'll get the same idea. Luke 22, 1 through 2, the first part of it. There is a plot, there is a plot to kill Jesus. So if any of you have had anybody plot to kill you, you're, you're not alone. Luke 22, 3 through 6, Judas betrays Jesus. If you've ever had somebody very close to you betray you, you're not alone. Jesus now has the Passover with the disciples, and then he's going to institute the Lord's Supper as this practice. So he basically is going to pull these disciples around, even the person who has betrayed him, right? He's going to pull them all around and he's going to basically say to them, I'm doing this such an injustice with this one sentence. He's basically going to say, hey, we're all family now. And as he's trying to gather everybody together, look what happens next in the story. They fight over who's the greatest and the most important. Then in the story, Jesus is going to foretell Peter's ultimate denial. So he's like, Peter, you're going to deny me. And of course, Peter's response is, not me, not me. And then Jesus is going to say, the scripture must be fulfilled. And all of these things that you know in the Old Testament, all the hardship, the suffering, servant, the lamb, like, that, that's, like all these bad things have to happen to me. Then Jesus is going to go to the Mount of Olives and pray. Have you ever had a night? And, and maybe our young people don't know this as much, but I bet the older folks do. You know what it's like to have a night where you're waiting on like the results from a doctor's test. Or you have something that you're really nervous about and you literally can't sleep and you're up all night long feeling the weight of that. Je Jesus, well, he, he gets that. Then after that really long, hard night, instead of getting good news, there is the official outright betrayal of Jesus. Then Peter is going to deny Jesus. Then Jesus is going to be mocked. Then Jesus is going to go before Pilate. Then Jesus is going to go before Herod. And then as he's misrepresented in those situations, he's going to ultimately be handed over to be killed. L let me just ask this question. How's it going for Jesus? This is, remember that book, No Good, Really Bad, Awful Day? What's the name of that book? Yeah, right, right. That's this, that's this. 
This is, a, this, is a, this is a not a fun day. Have you ever had a bad day? This is a bad day. Another thing I think that we need to point out from this that's important is God wants us to see Jesus' suffering in detail. You, you realize, like, for those that have been in the church for a long time, you know this. When you read through the Bible, there are places, especially if you go back to, like, Genesis, there are places in here where it's like, between one paragraph and the next paragraph, you jump like 500 years. It's like fast forward. You get these little glimpses through the Bible. A little statement is made, and then you jump on a little statement's made. Then there's like this unique thing in history, and, and you're just skimming through history really, really, really fast. And for whatever reason, I mean, there's a very specific one we'll talk about it in a minute. Uh, but for whatever reason, leaving the mystery, right? God allows this moment, this part of the whole biblical story to slow way, way, way down. Now we're literally like pages of one day. And the part that God slows way down on is Jesus's suffering. I mean, so like you can examine, exegetically you can examine the text, contextually you can examine the text, linguistically you can examine the text, but then you ought to even pay attention to how God divinely ordained what has attention and what's conveyed to us through the biblical narrative. And you understand, like, even as, a, even as an academic guy myself, the fact that God designed the Bible in a way where this is where it slows way down is incredibly important. God wants you to see Jesus' suffering. Another thing I think it's important for us to note from this survey of this section of Scripture, God wants us to know Jesus chose this, and he had the power to back out if he would have wanted to. Matthew 26, 53 says, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Even in the garden as he prays, he's like, Lord, if there's another way, I would love to take it, but not my will, but your will be done. I mean, like he is choosing to submit to this process. God himself embodied in Jesus Christ, Emmanuel with us is choosing to go through this suffering. I want you to take a moment today because we can't do this text Justice. We can't do the theology justice unless we identify in it. And, and I believe, I'm, I'm not the only one, a lot of scholars believe that the reason the Bible slows down here is because God wants you to be able to identify with Jesus. God wants you to be able to identify with Jesus. God wants you to be able to identify with Jesus. And so I'm going to go back through these again, and my prayer is, as I work through these events that happen in Jesus' life in this no good, awful, really bad day, I want you to be aware, like, think of your places of hardship. Jesus understands 
having enemies or people that hate you. He understands that. Jesus understands being betrayed by somebody or people that you thought were your best friends. He understands that. Jesus understands being misunderstood. Jesus understands feeling extremely nervous and alone. He understands that. Jesus understands being falsely accused. Jesus understands being mocked and made fun of. Jesus understands being interrogated by a fallen, twisted justice system or from merciless people. He understands that. I mean, I think we have a, especially in in the next service, we have a very diverse congregation and the reality is Jesus understands what it's like to be a minority in a justice system that doesn't like you. He understands that. Jesus understands what it's like to have people who once liked you all of a sudden turn their backs against you. As the crowds who cheered for him cheer against him. Jesus understands what it's like to be blamed for another's crime. Jesus understands what it's like to be falsely sentenced. And the reality is there's even one more in this that you pick up earlier on in his story. Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet as we are yet without sin. So, I mean, the reality is, even for those that have battled with internal temptation in really strong ways, listen, I'm telling you, he understands. He understands. I think this all begs a really, really important question to ask, and it's this. Why does Jesus choose to take on all this terrible, awful, broken stuff? Because let's be honest, I mean, the, the, the theological narrative laid out is that Jesus is innocent of all and he chose to take 
all this on. I mean, so you think you in your worst, awful, no good, really bad day, right? In your really awful spot, you're thinking in your mind, man, if I had a way out, I would take it. Jesus, knowing what would come, already had the way out and he chose the hurt. I mean, imagine like the dudes, and we can't, we can't really imagine this. The guys in heaven, I call Jesus a dude, is that okay? Um, The dude's in heaven, Jesus is in heaven, loved by God, present with the Father, whole, and he looks down at the road that's before him and he says, I am going to choose the road of suffering. It is so important for us as Christians, theologically it is so important for us as Christians that we ask the question, why? Why did he choose to do all of this? I'm going to invite Josh up. And the answer is going to take more than one week. So you're dismissed. Good luck. No, I'm kidding. I won't let you. The answer will take more than one week. The reality is this, this kind of is going to end up being like part one of a two-part sermon. Uh, though I won't leave you hanging, I will, I will give some theological answer to this. But I, I, I want to begin with this idea, all right? Humans can't do real justice. They can't. The truth is, humans can't do real justice. Because we can't truly, truly, well, we can't truly deal with the cost of sin. Let me see if I can explain this a a little bit better. Like, humans can't. They cannot do real justice that actually fully, truly, entirely heals because we can't in our system. So if somebody's wronged you, stolen from you, cheated on you, hurt you, or you have wronged someone, stolen from someone, cheated on someone, the reality is we can't do real justice in a way that actually deals with the cost of sin. We can't do it. And we know this if we pause and think about it enough. Uh, are you, uh, uh, probably you are, I mean, if we have a fairly educated, this campus is fairly educated, right? And lawyers and doctors and, you know, all college grads. And are you guys are familiar with the term blowback? You guys, blowback. So in, in society, there's a term called blowback. I, in fact, I'm going to put this on the screen. I want you to see this really quick. Uh, blowback is when something bad happens to you. So somebody did something wrong to you. They cheated on you. They stole from you. They mistreated you. They broke into your house. They took something from you. They, right? Somebody does something bad to you. And that bad act is used to justify a violent response back. That's the the blowback. There's actually blowback is broader than that. This is one piece of it. If you really want to look it up. And so what happens is this is basically blowback is the way societies turn violence into justice. So in your mind, and and, and I'm a history guy. Boy, I've been in school a long time. I'm a history guy. If you do scan like treetop through human history, you realize that that is the story of humanity, is blowback. You hurt me, you hurt my people, you hurt my family, you hurt someone, and now I'm going to tell everybody about that hurt and I'm going to use that hurt to do something really bad back to you, but that really bad response, I'm going to hang the new name tag on it called justice. 
And so in my justice, I go and I beat you up. Really good. This is me beating somebody up. Did that look scary? I was like beating somebody somebody up. I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to beat you up. I'm going to take from you. And then inevitably, you're like, I feel just. That feels just. feels just to me. But you know what happens? In every hit, you plant a seed. And eventually, what's been hurt is going to blow back. And they're going to do it, and they're going to hang a name tag on themselves that says, justice. See, this is the problem with humanity. We can't actually fix sin. We can't. Society after society, people group after people group, hurt people become the hurting people. That's just hurt people turn into the people that hurt others. That's just always what happens. And we title it justice. It has a new name tag called justice. And the problem with humanity, I mean, of course, by the time Jesus comes onto the planet, I mean, he's watched this happen over and over and over again in the human story. The blowback, the blowback, the blowback, the blowback, the blowback, over and over and over again. We live in a world, just to say it clearly, and if you really think about it, you'll see it. We live in a world full of hurt that continually justifies And it's justice when you're the one that gets to hurt. I want you to imagine with me, actually, I have numerous examples of this. I am not talking about any individual story. There's so many examples of this. You could easily go, oh, Mike's talking about, no, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about all of us, right? So I want you to imagine with me that there's like a cheating husband who gets caught cheating on his spouse. She's devastated. And they end up in my office. I mean, the reality is I have many times over I could share stories like this. And by the grace of God, the wife, just hang with me, the wife is like, let's go to counseling, we got kids, we got to try to make this work. And so reluctantly, understandably reluctantly, with fear and lack of trust and all kinds of issues, they try to work on their marriage, right? And so the husband is trying to be faithful now and the wife is trying to like move on and they're trying to do family. So like, let's say then the holidays roll around. Boy, I have so many examples of this. This is why our counseling center is so full during the holidays. If you need counseling, get your name in or fill in up fast. And what happens inevitably during the holidays is the family comes together and they're like hanging out and it's Thanksgiving, you know, and they're cooking in the kitchen and the husband comes through and he puts his arm around his wife and he like kisses her on the forehead. He's like, I'm grateful for you. And the wife's like, I'm grateful for you. And they're trying to do life again. And then inevitably the teenage daughter walks in and she's like, seriously, this is all fake. You know that he's a cheater. I am so tired of this. Our family just feels so fake. And 
They're trying to move on, but she can't, the daughter can't get past the hurt. We can't actually deal with the hurt of sin. Somewhere, somebody, lots of people, whenever you plant the seeds of sin, there's blowback. Even if you are trying to fix it, all of that hurt and tension lands on someone somewhere in the seeds. It just grows and you can't, we can't fix sin. That's our problem. That's our problem. We can't fix sin. Some of you, all of your hurt is because you've been the recipient of blowback. Some of it, you were the ones that have done, like you have trouble forgiving even yourself. But at the end of the day, we all have the same base problem and it's this. We can't actually do justice in a way that actually takes care of the way to sin. We can't. From broken marriages to racial reconciliation to global wars, humans can't fix the cost of sin in a way that actually works. That's the problem with humanity. We can't do it. All right, now that I've totally messed everything up and painted this awful picture, have a great day. You're just, no, I'm kidding. All right, here's the mystery. Here's the mystery of this. Okay, oh my goodness. Lord, in your name, you have, like, we are children. You have got to mature our minds, Lord, for us to go to the next higher level of thinking. Lord, I know that there is a level of trust even in this, and I don't understand. There's mystery in the gospel. You are God, and, and we are human. Lead the next few minutes, Lord. Jesus does something extraordinary. Jesus does something extraordinary. He looks at all the brokenness. So from heaven, he's looking at all blowback after blowback after blowback. People groups, racial tension, anger, stolen, rise and fall and revenge and justice relabeling. And he looks at all the brokenness and says, pour it all on me. I'll begin a work that will ultimately absorb all the evil. So, so bear with me, bear with me. What he basically does is as the total innocent person, he is saying to all of us, all of your anger with the person who mistreated you, grab the nail and take it out on Jesus. All of the hurt for your people group because you've been, take all of that bitterness and anger and rage and revenge and desire and you take it all out on Jesus. You hammer that nail till you have exhausted all of the energy of sin and hate and anger and vengeance. You take it all out. You take it all out. Jesus comes and he says, pour all of the brokenness out on me. Take it all, all of it, all through history, all the sin and hurt and brokenness that's been done, all the future sin, hurt and brokenness, all the revenge that's desired. You pour all of it on me.
And this is the crazy thing. Um, I hope I can even, Lord, even now, help me to word this right. There are lots of books written on this all the way back. Athanasius. I mean, early Christian writers have been writing on this for a long time. And I'm going to try to articulate like 1,500 years of theologians into two minutes. <laughs> when something bad happens, a sin, a hurt happens to you, it literally is like somebody rips out part of who you are. Your heart has been ripped out, like a common phrase. My heart's been ripped out. I've been hurt, I've been left, I've been abandoned, my heart's been ripped out. And you got this void. You got literally a hole, a pound of flesh for a pound of flesh. You got a hole in you. And you're like, you can't just tell me to forget about this hole. You can't just tell me to ignore what's missing here. You, in fact, if, if forgiveness means don't pay attention to this brokenness, that's not good. Well, the good news is that's not what Jesus is saying when he talks about forgiveness. What he's saying, this is so wild. What he's saying is that hole that you have in your heart, when you trust him, he begins to replace what's missing with himself. And since God is the place where all the beauty comes from, look at me, don't read that yet, look at me. Since God is the place where all the beauty comes from, what that means is what you lost, what he replaces it with is better. It's going to be better than what was taken away. Because he is the place where all beautiful things come from. That good thing, that stuff that you had that was lost, that relationship that you had, you understand God made all the good things. So when you replace that void with God himself, you actually are leaning into a fountain of goodness. The place of emptiness becomes a more full place when the fullness of Christ's story is finished. Do you see this? God promises the miraculous that he will literally, I love this, Jesus promises that everything sin has stolen, he will replace with something better. He will replace it with, in the end, you will be more whole, not less, when you follow and trust in Jesus. That's the miracle of the cross. You understand, my friends, Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, the promise is when you get to heaven, all voids, even these people that were rescued out of human trafficking, and they get there and their bodies literally are busted up and missing and hurting. And when Jesus comes and he looks at that Swiss cheese of a human, he is going to fill every void with himself. And in the end, these people that are broken are going to be gloriously beautiful things because of the presence of God. There is no better news than Luke 22 and 23. Our hope, my friends, our hope is not imperfectly. I can't say this enough. Uh, Darren, put this up. I, I want you to see this really clearly. Our hope is not imperfectly balanced revenge. Our hope is not in perfectly balanced revenge, but in the promise of the author of life filling all of our voids. That's the only way sin is actually dealt with. 
Think of all Jesus chose to go through. Every potential way of hurt, he stepped into that void. There is no way he's going to give up on you. You understand? Jesus doesn't want you to merely belittle your hurt. He wants to complete you with himself. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And, and again, and I get that, that translations are hard. I'm not an actual linguist, uh, but in the lot, master's and doctoral work, I had enough language, right? Like the word for peace, the word for peace here is literally complete tranquility. It's not merely the absence of conflict. Jesus doesn't just say, forget about it. He says, by the cross, you will have complete tranquility. Whoa. I hear, so here, here's the whole sermon summed up. Are you ready for this? Good, good theology. We need good theology in churches again. I am sorry. I am not trying to make this complex. I am trying to help you see the depths of Scripture. This isn't only about Jesus. <laughs> this text, you, you miss it. This isn't only about Jesus seeing your brokenness. It's about your brokenness being overwhelmed by Jesus. Overwhelmed. The enemy takes your arm. God gives you a whole new body. The enemy takes a friend. God gives you a divine family. The enemy takes your thousand dollars. God gives you forever provision. Do you understand? Your brokenness is the place. It's the very place the glory of God is going to shine brightest. To quote Paul, in our weakness, he is made strong. I need to help them memorize more scripture. I'm just realizing that now. We're going to do that in the spring. We're going to memorize a lot of scripture in the spring. I think it's the spring. Isn't it the spring we start that? I remember all my series. This isn't only about Jesus seeing your brokenness. It's about your brokenness being overwhelmed by Jesus. The sum of our story is beauty, not brokenness. It's about crucifixions becoming resurrections. (laughs) 
you guys, this sermon is why I chose to be a pastor and not pursue my original career in medicine, right? Like, I mean, and I love that too. That's wonderful. I am so excited about this. I want the whole world to know it. I want you to know it. This is so good. Let me just leave you with this question. I'm out of time. I got to go preach at another campus here. Uh, Let me just leave you with this question. What pain are you trusting God to fill? So right now, whatever it is in your heart, relational brokenness, financial brokenness, betrayal. There's a whole list that Jesus literally laid out in slow motion. What void, what pain are you going, God, I can't wait for this to be made whole. And then I would just ask this. Would you take, like when we talk about bringing things to God or an offering to God, we talk about bringing our excess and our plenty and our abundance. It is just as beautiful to bring your brokenness to God. To literally like come up and be like, you know what, Lord? I got betrayal. I don't know what to do with it. I give it to you as an offering. Would you do something glorious with that? What void do you need to take before God? Listen, um, Josh, I'm going to let you finish the service as you see fit. I want you to know this thing. I want you to know this really clearly. Hey, listen, listen. I love, love being a pastor and I love that I get to be your pastor. And I get literally passionate, excited, like adrenaline rush when I think, oh, if these people, I'm such a nerdy guy. I think when these people, when these people, if they can grasp this, how full and free they could be. I'm really driving down the road today and I'm like, oh man, Lord, I'm so full of gratitude. I mean, like I want to go lift weights. I'm just adrenaline full. Like I just, I want these people so bad to see this. You guys, Jesus is that good and he is for you.